10, 9, ignition sequence start, 6. Welcome to Launchpad, Rocket Fuel's interview series where we talk to prominent members of the Rocket Pool community or people working on projects related to Rocket Pool. Today we have a very special guest. You might know him as Darcius on Discord, but he's known to his friends and family as as Dave, and um, he is the founder of Rocket Pool. So we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Dave's vision and founding Rocket Pool. So I'm really excited about this. I've been wanting to uh, sit down and chat with you for a while, Dave. So um, thanks for joining me. Um, how are you doing today? I'm very well, Wack. Uh, thank you for having me, mate. Uh, again, um, yeah, we probably waited too long to do this, but, you know, better late yeah. than ever. Yeah, no, it's it's great. Like, I think um, there's a lot of really exciting stuff happening now that we can talk about towards the end of the episode. But why don't we get started with, like, getting to know you a little bit? Like, um, let us, let's go all the way back to, like, your childhood or high school or whatever. Like, um, what what got you into technology, computers? How, how did that all start? Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to reveal my age a bit here. <laughs> so, um, so I got into computers. I've always been, I was pretty much the black sheep of uh, my family because all my cousins, uh, everything else, you know, they're in uh, military trades, everything like that. I got into computer programming at like nine years old. So we, we had a, a something, uh, an Apple IIe. Uh, computer growing up so this is a, I mean we're going a ways back here so uh, this is this is a green and black screen computer that only ran off five and a quarter inch floppy disks didn't didn't have any hard drive you just plugged one of those in um, and I got I'm pretty obsessed with that you know around kind of six seven years old you know as any young kid with technology kind of does um, anyway for some reason I was I was in a country school uh, with like a hundred kids like a tiny country school not big capital city or anything like that um and they just randomly had a book in that uh primary school for programming the exact computer we had at home like i still have no idea how it got in there and i found it one day took it home and then yeah started tinkering writing programs and i think i started writing my first kind of real ones when i was around nine um and i'd wow. get my friends to test them out when they came over and that this was again a extremely primitive kind of thing uh computer um so yeah i did that uh for a while and i still have that book to this day i never returned it amazing <laughs> which is all, yeah it, it's it's in a way in my collection um i do need to actually dig it out make sure it's still there because we moved recently but um yeah it's and so that was kind of how it all how it all began um ever since then um uh, yeah pretty much just into into programming a lot um when i was kind of around 17 18 this thing we like to know as the internet kind of started to get really popular. Um, and I had a computer science teacher. Well, so it wasn't a computer. I can't remember what it was called, but like it was in high school. It was uh, year 11 or something like that. And it, it was a, a teacher which basically assigned me uh, to do a website, to make to make a website. And this is back when it was HTML at its very earliest. Like it was super primitive. And I... I can't even remember what the website was that I made. Um, but anyway, I did that. Um, and then kind of, I really liked the idea of, of websites. Like it was really kind of, it was creative. It involved some programming as well as some design because I love doing design stuff as well as programming. And it, kind of, it was kind of a good middle road for me. So I got into that, um, did that, and that went well. It's, it's a while ago now, so I can't really remember, but I think it did well. 
Um, and yeah, that kind of got me interested into websites. Then fast forward a, oh, a couple of years into university, um, I started getting um, in, more into developing uh, websites because they were still quite. And I, I ended up making a, what was it? It was a search engine. Um, this is maybe pre-Google around the same time, uh, probably around the same time. And it was, it was like an aggregate search engine. It was called Stormbot. If anyone wants to go down and look it up, I don't even know. <laughs> it's, it's probably into that archive there somewhere. Anyway, it was like an aggregate search engine where it would go across all the current search engines, aggregate the results and display them to you. So kind of like Dogpile. I don't know if you're familiar with Dogpile. It was, it was very big back then. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it, it would do something similar, a terrible name. I think Stormbot was way better. But uh, anyway, they um, did that. And uh, yeah, and then I ended up doing, at the end of uni, uh, for my computer science project, um, I think I ended up submitting. I ended up submitting Stormbot uh, as my major computer science project, and um, yeah, got um, got pretty much. Um, uh, was it? I don't know what the top result was, but it was the top result. And then yes. um, yeah, got got employed by the university after that. After mm-hmm. I graduated, so I started working That's in their great. IT department after that. So <laughs> yeah, it's just been a nonstop roller coaster. Just. Um, just I'm like a serial kind of um, I like creating things like that's the easiest mm-hmm. way I can kind of describe it and I'm good at programming and yeah. I've been pretty handy with design not as good as design as programming but these two kind of allowed me to make things early on uh, as a solo project you know I didn't need to hire a designer I didn't need to hire a coder I could kind of do both and get yeah. a, you know a feature rich kind of workable product out the door and so I've just been doing that pretty much my whole life yeah that's amazing. So um, one of the things that you did after uni, this was early 2000s, was set up a business, right? Like what, what was the business Again, that we all know about? <laughs> Another website, yeah. Yeah. So this one's been talked about uh, a bit uh, in the Discord. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm assuming this is Razor Prices, which is probably my Razor first Prices, real yeah. success. So mm-hmm. so this is like my first real success uh, post. Uh, and I think I made this while I was working at the uni um yeah so i've I've made this in my spare time and this was basically a again it was kind of like Stormbot where it would aggregate stuff so it would go around to all the current okay just to take a step back so razor prices was a place that you'd go to search for computer hardware uh, and it would show you the cheapest basically price that you're after for you know whatever hardware you're looking for it was all categorized in video cards and stuff like that so I had I'd written a crawler which would go around to all the main computer sites in Australia and scan their pages. You, you have to write a custom crawler uh, kind of module for each site because they they all had different HTML. This was before XML feeds and all that stuff, which had a nice unified layout that you could just go all yeah. right, plug one thing into and it brings you back everything. You had to kind of do a custom one for each one. Uh, so I did this back then, and that got all the um, all the computer prices, and it kind of managed to, each module will scan the, the retailer's website, organize their computer hardware and prices into certain categories, and then kind of relay that back to um, the rates of prices database. So that's what you do if you want a computer hardware back in early, very early 2000s uh, mm-hmm. in Australia. You'd go to rates of prices. It, it kind of caught on. It did well. There's one or two other similar sites around at the same time that did uh, that kind of thing, and um, it, it was uh much better than they were and it it caught on and and did really well 
um, yeah, so that was my first kind of real success post-university. Uh, so- the reason why we know about that is because of your interview in the Australian PC world and you search for you. Yeah. How was that? As, yeah. Yeah. No, that was crazy. So like, that was just, a, I was, I was a kid. So it's basically just mm-hmm. a kid at the time. So to get featured in like, and that, um, that was like the biggest computer magazine in Australia. So to get, I think it was even a half page article. I can't, maybe it was a whole page. I can't remember, but, um, yeah, that that was a big kind of result, and I, I was over the moon. And I had a couple of smaller things here and there. I actually took out an ad in—I oh, don't even know if it's still around, but I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, it was basically a magazine uh, that well, it was it was on the cusp of the internet becoming huge and all traditional magazines. So you'd have this magazine that would get sent around that had all—I think it was, it was Trading Post. That's that's the name of it. Anyway, this was one of the Australia Quid trading posts and they would have all the computer prices in there and retailers would basically submit their catalogs to trading posts and it would it would publish them in a physical magazine that you had to go buy to look at the latest computer prices. So anyway, once I made raised prices that kind of did that, I then took out an ad in trading post, a full page ad. It cost me like three hundred dollars to take back at the time and advertise raised prices in their in their own magazine, which was kind of replicating what they were trying to do at the time. Um. Yeah. Anyway, oh, I haven't thought about that in twenty plus years. Whack. <laughs> for, yeah. Digging up yeah that one. That's what we you know, we yeah. we dig for those good stories. You know, like gotta yeah. really dig back in archives. But when you say it was your first success, like tell me, tell me how was how was that as a feeling? Like what 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 did that ignite in you? Uh, and has carried on since then. Well, it just I I just love creating stuff. Um. So to create, actually create something that you know, um did really well and then, you know, got publicized in Australia's biggest computer magazine. I was over the moon. So yeah, I was just, yeah, on cloud nine for like three days when it happened. And um, yeah, it, it kept doing really well after that. Um, I, I ended up, um, what did I end up doing? I, think I pretty much ended up phasing that out a couple of years later. There was a few competitors and I was moving on to other things. And I think I sold it for, yeah, for a decent amount back then. Uh, to some company, I have no idea what happens after after then. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and that's going ways back, like yeah, twenty years ago. That's crazy. So, did did you then um like get like a regular nine to five job, or were you like kind of serial business starter slash website maker person? Uh, I've always been a serial idea, uh, kind of creative guy. So, um, I do my nine to five, and then I I do these on the side. Um, just mostly because, again, I love creating stuff. Like it's, I like it, whether it's programming or design and the ability to combine both. I, I did that a lot from a young age and I still do. Like I still do it to this day. Like it's crazy. So, um, yeah, I ended up uh, going more into, I think, my university job. Then I moved to Brisbane in Australia, which is, so I was living in the country, um, moved to Brisbane. And if you want to basically get, uh, increase your kind of paycheck any anywhere as a young adult, and you want to kind of climb the corporate ladder. You've got to go to a capital city, and Australia is very big, so you kind of need to do that. And I did that, uh, yeah, around my mid to late twenties, and uh, yeah, lived in Brisbane uh, for quite a while after that. And then um, that's where I met uh, another Rockpool team member, which I can go into later on. Yeah, we'll t- speak about that later. So um, let's let's skip forward a bit then. So you know, you you carried on working stuff. Like, when did you uh, first hear about crypto? Yeah. Okay. So I first oh, I heard about it early on. Like, quite I heard about Bitcoin 
um, very early. I uh, did get involved in it um, as early, but I heard I heard about it shortly after it launched. Um, uh, I had a Reddit account. Uh, I still do. It's it's ancient at this point. It's got to be like fifteen years old or something. But um, yeah, and I remember reading about it on Reddit. I think uh, Bitcoin. I didn't pay too much attention to it at the time. Uh, sound like a bit of a novelty. Um, the way it was kind of um, pitched at the time. But I got into it seriously. I got into crypto probably uh, around October 2013. Um, uh, I got into it quite seriously around then. I, I Dogecoin kind of blew onto the scene and there was a whole bunch of stuff on Reddit about it at the time. So that kind of made me pay a bit more attention and I started kind of looking into Dogecoin, which led me to Bitcoin again. And I kind of looked into it a bit more now. Like I wasn't at first; it was just a passing glance, but now it was kind of. Um, so the, the, oh, I should say the article that got it Dogecoin onto Reddit at the time was they sponsored a Jamaican bobsled team. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was some crowdfunded effort through Dogecoin, which was completely silly. Um, and that that they yeah, and then they got a they got a, they sponsored a race, a race car, car after that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, this is this is an internet history version, crypto version, uh, with Dave. So we went um, back then. That made me kind of pay attention to Bitcoin, and then I just went full into it. Once once I kind of just realised how it worked, um, yeah, I got super into it. I, I built my own Bitcoin mining rig, which is pictured on the first ever article I wrote about Rocket Pool in mid two thousand and seventeen. I included a photo of this rig. This was a, a custom rig again. Like you can see, I love my computer hardware. Um, yeah. This is all bits and pieces which I build and toy play with. Um, so yeah, I I put together my first um, Bitcoin mining rig in late 2013. I think it had six video cards and two piece PSUs and some insane. And it drew so much power, like you have no idea. I had an electrician come around to check the circuits because we were living in a relatively old house, and I had an electrician come around to check the circuits. And we have we have one of these old school um, meters, like uh, electricity meters, out the front. And they, these are for like the nineteen fifties, where it basically just has something that spins to indicate how much electricity mm-hmm. you're using at any one time. This thing was about coming off the hook. It was spinning so fast. <laughs> this rig was pulling in that much juice. The, the guy was amazed. Like he'd never seen something like that before, and he, he was kind of he was puzzled to how the how the how the circuits in the house were still actually functioning. So, um, anyway, that that was a short lived endeavor because I did have Bitcoin mining, uh, and I did Dogecoin mining. Uh, did a couple of coins back then. Uh, so did that, and it it went well for a time. But Australia's electricity prices got absurdly expensive, so kind of kind of dipped yeah. out of that. Um, I can't even remember if it was a year or or two no it would have been about a year and a half later i think i finally unplugged that unit but i had a lot of fun and i learned a ton uh using it in the meantime so yeah it was it, was, you, it was really fun yeah were you solo mining or were you part of like a mining group no i, I was mining mining groups yeah, i was doing so this is kind of the origins of rock pool a little bit uh so anyway i was in a bitcoin uh mining um one back then, uh, uh, one like there's probably maybe five or six big pools back then. I can't remember which one it was, but I was in one of them. Um, I was doing that same for Dogecoin and a couple other ones uh, back then. Um, but yeah, I just I love tinkering. Like yeah, so I, I tinker with this thing hours into the night. Um, 
for our kids, obviously, because <laughs> you can't afford to do that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'd play around with this thing for, for hours and hours and hours. And, yeah, and then my, my crypto thing just spiraled from there. Like, it, it, yeah, it's still in it, obviously, to this day. So, yeah. Did it, did it, like, um, what did your family think about it when you started, like, doing all this stuff and building mining rigs and stuff? Did they, did they, like, say, what on earth are you doing? What's this crypto thing? How, how are those conversations? Yeah. So, okay, let, let's start off with uh, the wife, then girlfriend. I mean, she was the girlfriend then. Um, actually, I think we might have been engaged at this point. No, no, we weren't. We weren't, we weren't engaged at this point. Uh, so, um, I was, she was very supportive. Like I, I, would, I would tell about this stuff, and I would basically go home and I, I would throw like this is very financially irresponsible. Do not do this at home, kids. If you're listening, but every paycheck I had, I would throw pretty much all my spare cash into whatever crypto I was at the time. So if it was Bitcoin, uh, and then Ethereum came along, I would I basically put as much yeah aside from bill, you know, I wouldn't spend bill money or anything like that. I would mm. dedicate whatever you know spendable cash I had. Um, to basically buy, you know, either Bitcoin or Ethereum at the time. And I talked to her about this and I said, you know, you know, we'll buy this much every month and then we'll, we'll put it away. Um, and she was okay with it, <laughs> which wow. is insane. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you probably have to her to thank uh, just as much as me for the creation of Rockwell because I mean, it amazing. takes a lot of partner to go, yeah, mm-hmm. thumbs up to some technology which is brand new and, you know, you've got Dogecoin sponsoring Jamaican Sledders and all other crazy stuff like that and go, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Um, so, yeah, did that at the time. And then uh, had my um, my dad, still doesn't know what Rockpool does. Um, <laughs> he's old, sco- he's old school. Uh, I gave up trying to explain yeah. that about six years ago. Uh, now we just say that we it's basically a magic internet protocol that does cool things and he's okay with that and I'm okay with that um, because – if I haven't explained it at this point, it's not going to get explained. So we, we, yeah. we have a mutual agreement where, you know, are things going good? I'll be like, yep. And he's like, okay, yeah. all right, cool. And that's pretty much the depth of that. And um, what uh, what communities were you part of at this time? Like, who were you talking to about crypto? And like, like all these, these, where were you learning about it? I mean, Reddit was a big part of it back then. Reddit was nowhere near as big as it is now. Um, and you can find a lot of that stuff. Uh, early on, uh, was never really big Twitter guy. I mean, I've never really been a huge Twitter guy, but uh, Twitter was, it was a big component back then, and I would look at it occasionally. Um, but, I mean, Discord didn't exist back then. I mean, the first uh, rock pool, uh, like, kind of comms room that was ever open was on Slack, um, and Slack was a big thing, so you, you could go into a few Slacks back then. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was pretty limited. To be honest, compared to today, um, today, uh, I mean, crypto journalism wasn't really a thing back then. So there wasn't, I mean, there might have been one or two kind of notable websites, but oh, I can't remember what they were back then if they were. Um, yeah, so I, I'd say Reddit for the most part. Yeah. So when the white, when Vitalik released the white paper, like, did you read the white paper as it came out or was it something that you caught up with later? Like how, how soon into Ethereum's history did you get into Ethereum? I, I, okay. So I didn't, I didn't buy in or anything until a bit after the original uh, ICO from Ethereum. I mean, much to everyone's regret, you know, where's my time machine, all that kind of stuff. But um yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I was aware of Ethereum well before they launched. Um, there was another coloured coin one on Bitcoin. I, I 
can't remember the oh, name of it. I, I forgot the name too. Yeah, that's that, okay. So they yeah. were the colored they, they yeah, were, I remember that. Yeah, they were big back then. They were having a bit of a stash with the Ethereum developers before Ethereum was released, saying, you know, we can do this on Bitcoin using colored coins and and whatnot. That so I was I was aware of it through that kind of communication because I was very much focused on Bitcoin at that time. Um, and I did go. I did get into Bitcoin. I mean, I did get into Ethereum. Sorry pretty soon like i i looked into it before it launched i looked into it after it launched pretty pretty soon after it launched and um yeah kind of got really really enthralled with the idea of smart contracts um you know being a developer myself and being hugely into crypto um that's that was yeah i was like i can program stuff to run on blockchain now like, whereas with bitcoin it was like here i'll send you something you send it to me back and that's that was it kind of um you know it was, it was great but you know, being able to actually program trustless stuff on a blockchain um, was obviously unheard of at the time. So yeah, that was a really big draw card. It, it kind of got me hooked into Ethereum pretty pretty early on after it launched, actually. So one of the things that you know um, you you do is you program in Solidity, right? So like, how quickly after Ethereum's launch did you like learn Solidity, and what were some of the first smart contracts you kind of played around with? Yeah, pretty early. Um, I can't even, I can't remember the version number of Solidity that I was working on. So I, I do have one of the files um, still here. I wrote um, ethpool.sol, which is the very first version of kind of rock. Like we're talking just tinkering around with the idea. And it's got the Solidity version in it at the time. Uh, I'll have to dig it up, but it, it's super early. Um, so there was it, the tooling was virtually non-existent at the time. You just basically yeah. just kind of, to kind of figure things out as you went because uh, it was so new. Like it was, um, I mean, kudos to the Ethereum Foundation and everyone else at the time for kind of uh, establishing really good Solidity docs. I mean, at the time, I mean, it was still quite rudimentary, but I mean, the, the getting anything good software off the ground is documentation is 90% of the key and they did a really good job early on of that from from memory i mean if i look back now it could be a little bit of a case of me being you know rose-colored glasses looking back on on old times yeah. but uh from memory it was it was quite good so but yeah it was still super super early like this yeah yeah way, way early like before the original dow hack and that they, wow. they had stuff yeah and, yeah anyway i was involved i was uh investor in the original dow too <laughs> so, oh wow uh, yeah, I, I actually watched it when it went down. I noticed one of the first transactions. Um, where so anyway, that's another history lesson. We'll be here for six hours if I keep talking about this stuff. So no, that's I'll cool. Tell us, so that's really interesting. How was how uh, was that? Like, what what was going on that day? Yeah, so one of the biggest things, uh, two of the biggest notable things I can remember coming out on Ethereum straight after it kind of got off the ground was Augur, which was a market kind of a crowd market prediction platform. <laughs> Um, I got in on the pre-sale of that, and it went terrible. If I kept that money in ETH, it would have done so much better. <laughs> but anyway, I love the idea. I think I think it I think it would have done incredibly well. Uh, maybe in a you know not timeline, but what uh, wasn't to be for our one. Um, but yeah, I got involved in the original uh, kind of DAO because you know, uh, I mean, where when did this happen? It was twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen was it? Uh, yeah, I'm thinking it's early sixteen. I think end of fifteen, I, six, sixteen. Yeah, I, I was thinking mid sixteen, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but yeah, I got got into that. So, 
you know, the ability to have a DAO which could fund various projects. Uh, it could spawn uh, new projects that anyone could fund in. Uh, and that, that was massive at the time. Like, that was huge. And that, they got an insane amount of ETH sent to them at the time. Um, right. And so, yeah. Uh, but, of course, everyone knows kind of how that played out. There was an issue discovered um, and, you know, someone drained uh, pretty much most, most of the funds uh, mm -hmm. using this kind of re-entry attack at the time. Re-entry, I mean, they, they were aware of this issue and they didn't patch it. I don't know if they had the ability to patch it. at the time. I can't remember how it worked, but um, they did have the ability to, to patch it or, or they, they chose not to. I can't remember. Um, but anyway, so the attacker kind of used this re-entry attack, which was uh, the ability to replace a variable with another transaction before the, the original transaction had finished kind of set up. And this, this allowed them to drain funds. And I, I was at work. I was just about to leave. Uh, I think it was a, oh, I can't remember if it was a Friday night. I think it might have been. It was, and I saw, I saw, I was looking at, um, one of the things that Tom showed, uh, showed you uh, how much ETH was in a certain contract or something like that. You could just suddenly see it start going down. No one's read it and someone else had noticed this and read it at the same time. So I went home uh, that afternoon and more people started commenting, you know, what, what's going on. And I think I had my DAO tokens and I sold them at the time. I couldn't, I can't, I can't remember the exact details, but I sold a few that day and then more the next day because I always like to hedge my bets. And, um, yeah, I think I got most of my funds back um, from that incident. Um, a lot of people didn't, unfortunately. But and that that spawned then you know the new network Ethereum Classic, which is a whole other saga in Ethereum's uh, timeline. Um, yeah, when they yeah anyway, I won't, I won't go into it. So uh, we'll try and keep try, try and keep on track a little bit. Yeah. So what was it like in those early Ethereum days? Was it did you feel like you were in like out on the frontier and just discovering some brand new amazing thing that like the oh, yeah. okay sorry to press a little bit yeah. for you yeah sorry i'm saying um what was it like in those early days like did you feel like you were out on like the frontiers and everything was this brand new thing or was it just more of like you just kind of went along with it or did you know that it was going to be such a big thing like how 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 did you approach it back then uh yeah, I always believe like, I've been pretty. I've never been. I wouldn't never class myself as a maximus, but I was strongly opinionated that Ethereum uh, had a lot better qualities going for it than pretty much all the other cryptocurrencies around at the time, like including Bitcoin. I still, I still like Bitcoin, but I think um, just, I mean, being a programmer at heart, the ability to write smart contracts for me was an absolute draw card and a game changer on a broader level that it would allow. Um, you know, much more use cases, which is already apparent. I mean, DeFi. DeFi wasn't a thing at the time. Uh, and it absolutely, you know, the amount of stuff you can do in DeFi compared to just Bitcoin still, um, yeah, it, it just was absolute game changer for me. So I wouldn't declare myself as a, as a maximalist, more a pragmatic enthusiast. <laughs> I think that's a good way to put it, yeah. Great. Okay, so was it around this kind of time then the idea for Rocket Pool started coming to you? Like, how how was that happening at the same time? Yeah, okay, so um, kind of tying into Bitcoin uh, again, I was, at, at the time, uh, around 2015, um, there was a lot of conjecture around, you know, all the Bitcoin farms, uh, Bitcoin pools, you know, I think there's maybe five of them, um, but, you know, it, if anyone wanted to perform an attack on Bitcoin at the time, they maybe had to make three phone calls. And so that was, that was a, 
there was a lot of discussion around that about how bad that was, um, how centralized Bitcoin had become and whatnot. And then tying again into the fact that I just discovered smart contracts that can enable a trustlessness on a decentralized network uh, that could kind of mitigate that to some degree, uh, if not entirely. Um, I was like, oh, hang on. Um, that sounds like a good idea. So I basically just started diving into it. Um, I, I used that as an excuse to learn Solidity. That was my primary excuse. I'd been tinkering in Solidity up until that point, but actually learning the ins and outs and the nuances of it. Um, and again, the documentation was kind of good, but not, I wouldn't say it was great. Um, was really interesting. So I, I got, I just basically dove into it at that point and went, you know, can you make a decentralized mining pool? Like, you know, is, is it possible now that we have these smart contract things? Um, and then turns out it was. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the proof of stake at that time was just, just a figment in Vitalik's imagination, pretty much. Like how, how was it for you to start thinking about that happening? Like what, what thought, what, what thoughts were going through your mind at that point? Yeah, so it, it was on their roadmap. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, staking wasn't a new thing at the time. Staking was done in other protocols. Um, oh, there's a really well-known one that escapes my mind right now, but there, it was, it's, it's well and truly gone at the moment. But staking back then was very kind of centralized. They used these things called checkpoints and things like that. And it was happening on a few other protocols. Um, so, but on Ethereum's roadmap was the idea to stake in a truly decentralized way, and that's um, that kind of caught my attention. And so, to kind of uh, get Rockapool, um, kind of the early days, like an alpha version of it written, um, we, we did. I didn't know how it was going to be done on Ethereum that time until uh, Vitalik released something called the Move Paper. So, Move Paper was one of the first papers released that kind of spec'd out actual functions the parameters that they would receive and things like that uh, in, in an actual paper. So I could write my own, I then write my own dummy version of staking on Ethereum using it like a dumb contract that, that would mimic um, the way the Ethereum one was kind of planned to be. And this allowed me to write rock pool and then stake on, on my dummy contract uh, and, and earn rewards. And back then uh, staking was originally intended to be done through a smart contract. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the fancy beacon chain that we have now came after much deliberation about how, um, congested staking, you know, back then Ethereum was already kind of getting a little congested. And if you had everyone sending attestations every, you know, 15 seconds or whatever to a smart contract, I mean, it would, it was nuts. So the, the original intent was good, but the execution, uh, wasn't going to work through this smart contract. Um, and then we ended up getting the beacon chain. Uh, you know, like two years later, uh, after everyone yeah. kind of agreed that was not a great idea. But that original paper, the mode paper that had those uh, original specifications in it, Vitalik release, allowed me to write, um, yeah, this version of of, of Rockpool, which was an alpha version. And um, let me let me do some more name dropping while we're at it. Uh, I actually met Vitalik <laughs> about a year later um, after I'd kind of gotten uh, talking to consensus about this idea of Rockpool. And um, yeah, I met him in San Francisco. I flew to San Francisco, met him and Carl. Carl was another lead researcher at the time. Carl Florence, Florence? Uh, can't remember. Uh, his surname's, uh, but he's very well known and an excellent presenter. Dude was insanely good at presenting. Uh, but anyway, I met, I met those two. We kind of discussed um, this very early version of Rockpool and how it would kind of play out. Um, 
And then they scrapped staking through a smart contract after that, and we had to kind of retool stuff. But luckily, a lot of the core concepts of Rock Pool, even back then, like we, we had the idea of mini pools back then, uh, the nodes that would manage them, uh, a lot of the core concepts still carried over um, from staking through a smart contract and staking through the bigger chain. Just, you know, you're dealing with one chain and then you're dealing with two chains, which carried extra kind of baggage with it. But yeah. Okay, let's, let's take a little bit of an aside here. So um, when you were like in your crypto journey, did you meet people in real life along those early days? Like how, how did that happen? Did you make friends through crypto? Oh, whack. This is a segue. I swear you had this segue written beforehand because uh, it goes perfectly <laughs> into the next segment. Um, anyway, uh, I didn't. I did to some degree. There was a theory meetups in Brisbane and I went to a bunch of those because I was very much into it. And uh, I remember going to, uh, I went to one in Brisbane, uh, one Friday night, just got training randomly and it was just a group of people. And it was awesome. It was, everyone was totally chill. Uh, but anyway, I kept going to them uh, until I went to, uh, there was a, another official Brisbane meetup um, where I presented, where they asked me to present Rockapool. Um, and I did this in a, crowd, a crowded room, maybe 30 people at the back of something, I don't know. Anyway, it's the first yeah. time I'd actually done a slide presentation to kind of present the concepts of Rockapool, mini pools, uh, staking, all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of really good questions. It was still very new. Most people weren't really aware of what staking was, but it went it went really well. Uh, so I kept going back to more of these meetups. And then I went to another meetup and I met someone named Langitz. And so Langitz and I kind of got the talking because um, he, he was into it as well. Um, and he was quite keen to learn about Rockapool. And I was like, well, all right, I'll, I'll explain it to you, which was what I was doing 99% of the time to everyone I met. Um, so that went, that went well, obviously. And, um, yeah, we stayed in touch and we kept catching up at other, other meetups. Uh, and then we had, uh, kind of rock pool kind of started gaining some traction. And I was like, you know, it's a, it's a one man band at this point. I kind of need to bring some other people on. Uh, yeah. and he, he was a coder and he learned solidity. So he joined, uh, myself along with Jake, who was another good friend that was on the very much, uh, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't have done half with there, Jake. Like he was very helpful early days i brought him on i worked with him uh beforehand and then i basically employed him <laughs> so i took him away for his job and got him to work with us uh full time so then that was the three of us working on it from about 2008 about uh, about january march 2018 uh to maybe 2020 2021 ish so yeah we, we worked on it quite a bit during that time uh, it's just the three of us so yeah how was it like that bull market in 2017 where eth you know just went beyond everyone's wildest dreams and hit 1400 like how how was that time in for you and also for rocket pool like your ideas about it at the time yeah so we did our uh, original kind of token sale around uh september 2017 so that that was it, it was absolute ico hype at the time like it, it was crazy mm. that was part of the reason why the bull market got so much momentum uh there's all these projects coming out and rockable did one of the lowest lowest token sales of the time i mean it, it was always it was criminal how, how how little we we kind of raised it but that was a goal at the time like i i didn't want to do a huge raise i just wanted to do something managed that we could actually work on the product with and deliver something back to the, you know the people who invested in, in the token at the time. 
that um other ones you have other ones like golem and then a few of the other big names from back then that just raised hundreds of thousands of ETH. like it was oh, no, it was raised raised four billion oh yeah yeah so know, there was a lot of there was a lot of money being yeah. raised back then so we yeah. we were actually one of the tiniest at the time and uh that bull market was was insane like that was that was hype like that was pure hype um and so uh, I mean, I, I struggle to think of now, you know, maybe a handful of projects that are still around from that era um, today. I mean, Rock, Rockpool is yeah. probably one of the, oh, I mean, it's an OG project now, but the fact that we had the smallest raise possible back then and still outcompeted a lot of these ones that raised absolute billions of dollars, like just insane yeah. amounts, hundreds of millions. And we've, we had one of the lowest ones possible at the time and, and we're still around and, and kicking today. So. Uh, anyway, yes, that, I digress from that. That's yeah, I, I digress. So anyway, that the bull market was um, really fun, and a lot of people don't realize before that bull market uh, was the altcoin uh, kind of bull market that happened before that one. It was about three, four years prior. Was the everyone making clones of Bitcoin, uh, yeah. and basically, yeah, I've made a new coin, which they just copied their code. I mean, Litecoin <laughs> just, yeah. just copied their code base and changed a few parameters. And call it a day, and that was like everyone creating these clones of Bitcoin back then, and that that was a huge thing. So first you have the altcoin bull market, then you had uh, yeah the ICO one, and then the one after that was kind of like a DeFi. Um, and yeah, DeFi, yeah. So I mean, the 2015 semi DeFi. Well, not no, not really. You, I'd say the one after that was more. DeFi. Maker, Maker came after, right? Maker uh, was 2018. One. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so then the market went to crap. There was you, Langers, and Jake. Like, how how was that period? Like in 2018, 2019, like those depths of the market. Pretty stressful. Not going to be honest. Like, not going to lie. Like, I was because I was managing the project. Time, like I said, we did a really, really small raise, and that was during the peak of the market. So it crashed, and we I had to manage like the tax that resulted from that um as well so when you do when you do a sale that's a sale at the time and so mm. we had to manage uh the kind of tax bill from that from 2018 to 2019 which is through a bear market and i, I tell you what i'm just blessed that i have a, a very dedicated wife as well because that that was stressful like managing that and then you know you always i always kind of expected another bull market and always hope for it so i kind of planned accordingly um, the way we would manage kind of wages and tax and having such a small sale that then got incredibly smaller after the crash because suddenly you you, you have this asset and then it, it's just absolutely dropped in value. And it, it hit yeah. double digits. Um, I think it was in late 2018, like it, it really crashed. And then we had COVID after that. Um, so the fact that we kept developing, kept producing, kept releasing betas during all that, like I... I think it's a credit to the guys. Like it's a massive credit to the guys um, that we that we still got through that. We still managed to rally a community. Still managed to uh, manage all the, you know the day to day stuff like tax bills, wages, doing all that stuff through an absolute bear market. And no one even thinks about that anymore. But that was probably the most stressful time, just because yeah, all the factors involved. I mean, I pulled both these guys away from their jobs to work to work with me. I, I didn't want to yeah. let them down. So yeah, it's a lot of work. Was there ever a moment where you thought that you know you wouldn't be able to carry on and like that you'd have to call it quits? No, nah, I'm really stubborn. 
<laughs> like that, that's just me. I'll, I'll yeah. and I'm, I'm annoyingly optimistic, which is a thing. Um, so you ever have that one person that just is really optimistic about pretty much everything, and it gets super annoying after a while. Well, that's that's pretty much me. Um, yeah. So I always always pictured there'd be you know another bull market, there'd be a way to carry on. You know, just keep keep plugging away, and, and stuff will happen. Um, I mean, yeah. it's you get the most work done during bear markets, as bad as it sounds, <laughs> because um, everyone's just focused on the price when it's going up, and you know everyone's having a great time. But you know, you get a lot of work done when that's not happening because you can focus on the work at that point. And of yeah, course. But... Okay, this question just popped into my mind. I should have asked it earlier. Um, do you ever regret choosing the name Rocket Pool, or are you like super proud of it still? Like. How do nah, the name of Yeah. I, I love it. I mean, for, for context, the first idea was to call it Outback Steakhouse, which is terrible. <laughs> and puns don't market well. And so going from Outback Steakhouse spelled obviously S T A K E to Rockpool. Yeah. Rockpool seemed was just leagues above that. So I'm and yeah. Rockpool sounds cool. So yeah, here we are. Awesome. That's great. Okay. So um let's let's get up to like um you you said that you know early rocket pool talk happened on slack like how did those early communities form like how how did you nurture those how were you a part of those well they they usually formed by um so the first kind of signals for rock pool was put out an article i wrote and published to reddit um and then we kind of created the slack after that we had you know curious people kind of popping in um then then we did a token sale and that drew in more people because obviously you know anyone investors and stuff all want to find out what this thing is, so they'll join the first communication channels for the project. Uh, so we had a lot then. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, it was pretty much just me running the Slack back then. So I'd be in there a lot and then trying to code as well. Um, a little, little distracting, but I, I still loved it. I loved getting in uh, in the early days because people were genuinely curious about staking and Ethereum. Like most people didn't even have any idea about Ethereum. They were just find a project at the time and then just kind of go, oh, yeah, they're, they're doing a token sale. Let's find out more about them. I'll go ask the founder. <laughs> so they would just jump in and ask without doing any research. I mean, it hasn't probably changed that much, to be honest, but um, this this happened a lot. And so then I would just I would answer everyone's questions. Like I spent hours in there answering. And I think that's kind of uh, the origins of kind of our community. Was, I've just spent inordinate amounts of time talking to people. Uh, and yeah, so I did that while kind of, and I would, again, being annoyingly optimistic probably helped in that regard because I'd be like, well, maybe they just didn't find out about it. And then I would spend hours explaining it to them and yeah, rinse and repeat about 3,000 times. So when did you go from the Slack channels to an actual like Discord community? How did that, how did that happen? Oh, Slack sucked. Like, to be honest, like it was, it was terrible. Um, I didn't like the way they did half this stuff. And so as soon as something more viable kind of appeared, uh, we just dropped ship to that. And Discord, even the early version of Discord, which is leagues better than Slack at the time. So, um, yeah, it didn't take much to, to, to ditch Slack because, again, it, it kind of sucks. Yeah. So do you think um, the community was mostly just, like, people popping in and asking questions or were there people sticking around and, like, actually, like, starting to talk? A bit of both. Like, yeah, you definitely, we definitely had a few. Like, there's a few OGs um, that I still keep in contact with from the very early days. Um, oh, 
I've, like I've, I know a bunch of them from that joined the Slack. They moved to Discord, and I still know these guys. And I've met I've met a few of them at Denver last year, and hopefully I'll meet them again um, at the next one. But yeah, like true OGs, and that they they hung around. So you had those elements of people who kind of came in, asked a few questions, and uh, kind of enjoyed their time there, and then spent more time there. And then you'd have people that just came in and asked questions, and then you'd never hear from them again. And it's, that's just the way it goes. I mean, you, you don't know who's going to stick around. You don't know who's going to leave. So you may as well just answer everyone's questions politely and, and hope a good community kind of forms around it. Um, how did Patricio get involved in Rocket Pool in those early days? Because I know that he was around from, was he the ICO buyer or was he just someone who bought really early? So my theory, long-term theory of this is he is a time traveler. So because <laughs> <laughs> no, he just rocked up out of nowhere one day. And just just came in there to he was in our Slack, so that's how OG he was because our Slack didn't last long. And um, I don't know if he'd done his research on staking on Ethereum. Like ninety nine percent of people who came in didn't really, still didn't know what staking was, let alone the details like that. But yeah, he, he came in and he DM'd me, and we just got to talking originally. And um, this was before the token sale, and then yeah, he he we had a a number of chats and i guess it went well because then he he just went hard into um you know way more than anyone else in the token sale um at the time and yeah. jumped back in his time machine and went back to the future i think after that so i, I don't know it, it was but, just so such opportunistic timing and our, just the way it all unfolded was just really kind of uncanny valley kind of stuff but um yeah anyway that's cool. And did he then stay around in the community or was he just kind of like a peripheral figure most of the time? Kind of peripheral, yeah. I wouldn't say he was yeah. actively involved in the community. Yeah, very much. I mean, he had a lot of stuff going on. Um, hmm. So, yeah, he had, he had his fingers in a few pies at the time, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, so, yeah. yeah, definitely more peripheral. And then Poap, of course, started, and that, that's his Mr. Poap now, so that's cool. Okay, interesting, because of course, you know, most people think of Rocket Pool, and one of the first things they think is like, oh, who's this guy, Patricio, who's got, you know, such a big amount of RPL token, and yeah. that, that yeah. you know, a while, for a while, that was... When I first heard about Rocket Pool, I one of the first things I knew was that there was this guy Patricio who had, like, you know, a third of the tokens, or it wasn't that much, I know, but, like, you know, a big chunk of tokens, and... Was that like ever like a cloud that hung over you guys, or was that just like, hey, it's Patricia, let's just go with it? Like, no, I always viewed that as fair game. I mean, the dude, yeah. the dude, it could have gone the other way for him. Like, he, he could have gone all in and it could have turned to nothing. So, yeah. I mean, you take a big risk, you get big rewards. Um, that's it's fair game as far as I'm concerned. It, there was no insider yeah. knowledge, no, nothing like that. He, mm. he just he did his due diligence and came out on top. So, kudos to him. Absolutely, yeah. He's a great guy. I met him in Denver, and he's extremely friendly and such a warm person. And of course, I love Poap, so <laughs> that's, that's cool. But um, who doesn't love a Poap? Do you remember when when trading started? Yeah, uh, it was it was originally another name. Uh, I think no. So originally, I wanted like okay. So when you have these communities and you, you start this kind of thing, everyone wants to talk about um, basically. Price. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I was like, where, where can we put all these people that just want to talk about token price for the not tech? So I created a channel and put it to the very bottom of the Discord, <laughs> and it became the most popular one. So you know, yeah. who knows? But, uh, but I mean, it's just they, it's just human nature. Everyone loves chatting about you know prices, making money, all that kind of stuff. So it was obviously very 
it was like extremely important channel, but um, yeah, chatting about the tech, not nearly as exciting about number go up, uh, which a lot of people yeah. like to talk about. So yeah. It's it's really ironic now because we we have this joke in trading where trading is a channel where you talk about everything except trading. <laughs> That's just what it's become now, where it's just like a free for all about all these other things. Um, one of the things that like you know the Rocket Pool protocol is kind of like known for is like the light touch on the moderation on on the Discord um, and how you know a lot of oh, the times like there, yeah. Sorry, I was saying. Yeah, I was saying um, one of the things that um, people have this idea of Rocket Pool, the community, is like uh, there's light touch with the moderation. And a lot of times, you know, conversation can go any which way that it goes. Was that like a deliberate choice from the beginning or was that just how the community kind of developed? No, it was pretty pretty deliberate from the beginning. Um, I've I've been involved in the low communities at the point, And one thing that would ruin it very quickly is heavy moderation to the point where um, you, you kind of want to instill your will on the community um, through moderation. And that happens a lot. I mean, it is tempting. <laughs> like I like that sometimes where you're like, oh, come on. Uh, but I, I would never do that. And I made sure um, from early on that we kept the light touch and moderation, just kind of let free talk happen. And it, it's not with its drawbacks. Like you do have, you do have to, it does use scammers more opportunity occasionally to kind of uh, do that. But Thankfully, uh, that's where also Cron comes in. Cron has been a valuable tool for our Discord. Like, dude, is just insane. Like, just an absolute machine at moderation. Um, and he, he's he's been managed a lot. A lot of our current community kind of conversations, uh, credit goes fully to Cron, just for the way he's managed things. Um, we we talked early on. Uh, Cron and I did quite a bit. Not we we haven't talked as much lately, but we chatted a lot early on, and he he's just an absolute machine at. Uh, effective moderation like it's 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 an art form like it really is and you can burn people and then some people won't come away and they even though you're just trying to do the right thing through moderation and he's just found like a really good kind of line to do it and i'm just constantly impressed yeah, yeah and do you I, I guess I won't ask too many questions about Kron because Kron's like this great mystery figure and it's best to just leave it at that, I think. So let's just let's leave it there. So um, tell me about some of the betas that were happening into, you know, the, as before the Beacon Chain launched and after the Beacon Chain, like, you know, Rocket Pool famously didn't launch with the Beacon Chain launch and it launched pretty much a year later. Like, how was that time where you knew that um, other services were coming online or people were starting to stake and rocket pool wasn't ready like was that a tough I time mean, for you? I mean, like we had what? um we, we had a beta on the existing version okay so uh like i touched on earlier like staking through a smart contract was the original version uh vision for ethereum we, we had a beta on that <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, we were the only one that actually used the staking version of the contract which i compiled at the time and we used that for the beta so we were with it I mean, I don't know where you get a. Can we get a pulp for that? I don't know, but we we did that back then, uh, and then obviously we swapped to um, the Beacon Chain, which is whole other beast. It's not just compiling a smart contract to plug into a beta. Suddenly you have two chains. How do you, how do you simulate another chain? So we we wrote our own version of the Beacon Chain. Uh, not many people would know this. So we had a Node.js script. We deployed to a server that would mimic. Uh, at you know receiving attestations, giving awards, that kind of thing at the time, well before the beta chain was even launched. So we were managed to have a, a beta, several betas using that um, that kind of script set up. So it, it would 
it was entirely centralized staking, but it, it was only for beta. It was only to mimic how the, the current kind of um, development on Ethereum was progressing uh, because they would, they would change the spec all the time. So we'd have to update the mm-hmm. script and make it react accordingly. Uh, but that's, that's how we kind of managed betas back then. We would just DIY it pretty much and, um, yeah, uh, make it true to the spec as we could. Um, and then they would change it and then we'd have to update it and they change it and we'd have to update it. So yeah, we did that for a couple of years. And uh, again, we've, we've had songs written about the betas, how many betas we've had. So we had, we had no shows of test. Oh, all for testing. Like that's one thing, uh, security and testing above all else. So we made sure, um, you know, with day one for Rockwell rolled around that it had been tested as much as possible. And so, yeah, that's, that's one thing we do. Uh, kind of hold ourselves um, a lot to is making sure we, you know, we test our stuff as thoroughly as possible. Yeah. That's great. And yeah, so then, you know, the Beacon Chain launched and Rocket Pool wasn't ready. So how how was that as an experience for you? Well, of well technically, that, you know, you... It, was, it wasn't um, us. We had to wait for withdrawal, smart contract you withdrawal. You worked so long for this. We could have launched. You, you, yeah, we, we could have yeah. launched. At most, I mean, I've got a ton of pressure for this. Like, we, we faced ton of people could just come in going, why is Rockpool not live? Why is Rockpool not live? Um, so we launched about a year after staking mm-hmm. on Ethereum bid uh, just because smart contract withdrawals weren't um, basically in the spec at that time. And we, we were a large part of kind of helping push that forward because we were pinging Danny all the time about asking questions. Uh, so Danny's pretty much the lead researcher uh, for driving development on Ethereum. And we talked to him quite a bit at the time and we kind of, you know, wanted this to happen. And it seemed like a natural fit. I mean, staking decentralized network, why, why, don't, why can't you make withdrawals decentralized? So um, <laughs> anyway, so we pushed for that. And we, we got a top copped a lot of crap <laughs> that year just because, you know, we'd been in beta for so long. Um, why, why aren't you guys launching? And because we didn't want to launch with basically a half-assed product. I mean, our goal from day one was to be a decentralized staking protocol, not a semi-decentralized staking protocol, uh, yeah. where we're a custodian for a year, and then we do a flip switch to another model, which is being decentralized uh, as what, and whatnot. So I actually talked to um, several custodians uh, during that year. Um, so custodians, basically someone who, who will hold, uh, take, take the asset, Oh, well, will be the withdrawal mechanism for the asset because if you can't do it decentralized, you need to trust someone to kind of hold those assets. So I, I talked to a variety of them about, you know, how we could maybe uh, set it up through different providers uh, throughout the world, you know, different custodians throughout the world. You know, you might have, you know, like seven to ten different custodians. Turned out to be Lido's model. <laughs> so, uh yeah, anyway, that's, that was, uh, and I did actually chat to a lot of guys before they even launched, but that's a whole other talk. Um, so that's, yeah, that, that was interesting at the time. Um, but man, yeah, we had a lot of pressure, but I do not regret it at all. Again, I can be really stubborn when I want to be, um, not just with optimism. Like I was dead set on making sure this was going to be decentralized when we launched because it's so much harder to move, like to change something when, like, so it's, to manage, custodianship for one year and then pivot to a decentralized model would have involved an absolute ton of trust in our, our first year. Then we would have been getting tons of stuff like, why aren't you doing this decentralized? I thought you guys wanted to be decentralized. And it just would have been a terrible, terrible look. So just we just have made the absolute call 
do a decent decentralized or nothing and we went with that yeah and of course like i guess now that you have no regrets about that right because it looked like it looks like it, it was the right course of action um which is great um how was that um the uh false launch so rocket pool is ready for launch and then you get a critical bug like the day before launches due to happen how, how was that like as an experience yeah oh, like Honestly, that it was it was a little heartbreaking at time, but we had a tr I had people DMing me from you know like the original 2017. Uh, people I hadn't heard from years, just you know, give me a pat on the back. Like it was it was amazing. So it was horribly disappointing at the time, but part of that community outreach then to support us, like we basically just said, you know, we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna launch. Like this sucks for everyone. You know, it's it's one of the things, but there's no way we're gonna jam in a fix quickly just to save a little bit of face and launch you know as soon as we can so we, we went we took everything back to uh the drawing board with that fix uh figured out you know a good fix for it Re uh you know rewrote the smart node software um redid uh the contracts got them reordered and it took it took a little bit longer um but th there's no way i would have tried to jam like it was horribly disappointing but there's no way i would try to jam through a quick fix just save a little face yeah. or make myself feel a bit better um yeah, safety and security, first and foremost, every time. Absolutely. And then we actually got the actual launch. So how, how was that for you to see something that you'd worked on for like four years at that point, actually coming on chain and being live for everyone in the world and like, getting like so much excitement as well? Like, how was yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, that, that was amazing. Like, and again, like we had a hugely supportive community and we still do. Like, it's it's just been absolutely amazing to get that kind of support a lot of people don't even realize the kind of you know we, we had tremendous pressure to uh to get this thing delivered and to have it delivered and then it actually work the way you intended it, it's every developer's dream i mean especially yeah. and then when you're talking pr a protocol that has the kind of value locked in the rock pool um yeah it was it, it was an absolute weight off my shoulders to get off uh, but I'm not saying it wasn't, it wasn't going, uh, I did take even more risks up to that point because I had to launch the first mini pool with the first version of contracts and I used that my own ETH for that. And if that didn't take, or there was an issue with that, um, before we opened it up to the public, we would have had to deploy the contracts again and I would have lost yeah. my ETH. So, <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's case to say putting money where your mouth is. I put my money where my mouth was on that launch and it, that original validator is still running today. Mm -hmm. yeah it is yeah and yeah. um that that's really cool and how was it with the rpl price at that point like token hit 60 dollars basically right around launch time was that was that any like how did you feel about that or did you have any feelings at all about that or was that not something oh, you were caring about like i've been through a lot of bear markets and a lot of bull markets i think i'm a little bit dead inside when it comes to token prices and ETH prices not yeah. that that's a bad thing or a good thing it's just i've gotten so used to volatility i mean if you came from a trade by kind of um like job and you went into crypto it, it would destroy you emotionally <laughs> if you weren't prepared for what you're into but if you've been in the market yeah. for many years and you can kind of gauge this ups and downs if you if you see it going up in a parabolic fashion, you you pretty much guaranteed it's going to come down to a certain degree. Uh, just how far is usually the question. Uh, so yeah. you you have to prepare yourself for that. I mean, it was fantastic. Don't get me wrong. It's everyone's like you no, know, it's party and Discord time. It, everyone's going crazy. Like that's probably the funnest part is watching everyone's reactions because everyone gets so caught up in the 
you know, euphoric kind of behavior. It's, it's amazing to watch that. Uh, that's probably the funnest part, to be honest. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if you've been through a few of these cycles, uh, you generally know um, the way it'll play out when it goes up so fast. So you tend not to get too, too swept up in uh, the mania. Well, like yeah. So around around that time and the time after that, um, you stopped being as present in the Discord. Like, what was the reasoning for that? And was that like a deliberate thing, or is it just something that happened with time? I, it kind of just happened with time. Um, a lot of it too was, I mean, I I have poured so much time in a rock pool. Like, it's insane the amount of time I've poured in a rock pool. So just just kind of drawing back from the day to day community management stuff wasn't wasn't intentional. Um, it, it just kind of happened over time because my life got busier. Like I've got three kids now. I've got a six year old, a four year old, and a two year old. Um, they didn't exist when Rockable launched. <laughs> so um, it was yeah. Obviously, life as they say gets in the way, and there's a large part of that. I mean, I love them bits. I spend tons of time with them. We we do you know I teach them I teach them about computers and all that kind of stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Um, just life gets in the way a bit to, to a large degree. Um, also, the team's gotten bigger. The protocol's gotten bigger. I have other obligations now where I need to manage um, kind of high-level stuff. Um, I haven't touched code in probably two years. So um, being as the one, <laughs> which is funny enough, we just had we just had an audit recently and they pulled up, uh, one of the things they pulled up was a comment that was written uh, by me couple of years ago and said it was like a really mundane con- comment should be in the code it's been in there for like <laughs> forever uh but anyway um so yeah i haven't touched code in ages so now i've managed more of the high level stuff um strategy uh a lot of the um communications with other stakeholders um all the boring stuff for coda generally would, would hate to do but i don't mind doing it and i've been doing it now for a while where it, it's kind of become second nature so i'll do that and uh, yeah, got kind of like managing team stuff as well. And then we have managing conferences. Uh, we have managing audits, uh, managing or oh, help working with community. Um, we, there's, there's a lot of facets. And, yeah, so I do a lot of the high-level stuff where I don't have as much time to spend in Discord as well. You know, between that and family, it, it's hard to find hours to spend Discord every day. Like I used to. I used <laughs> to spend all my time in there. So, yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, yeah, not as much anymore. But I still, I still read a lot. So just FYI, everyone out there, they read a lot. <laughs> and um, then when, like now, you said you know your your job's kind of changed now. So one of the things that you're working on is conferences. So last month you guys went to Istanbul. How how was that as an experience for the team going out there and kind of representing Rocket Pool uh, at uh, DevConnect? Well, this is probably a better one for Langus to answer because uh, I, I organized for the guys to go. Uh, we only set a contingent uh, over there this time just because we have audits um, that were just about to start pretty much when they got back. So um, yeah. I had to stay on deck to kind of manage all the pre-audit stuff, which is organizing a whole bunch of things. Um, and so, yeah, those guys went. Um, they, it went really well. I mean, it was, it was awesome staking something. I mean, they met pretty much a lot of the regulars over there, like Ken and so forth. Um, it went well. Nick and I uh, stayed in Australia and we went to an Australian cryptocurrency conference, which I've never been to one in Australia before, but it was just uh, down in Melbourne. So it was a quick flight to get down there for a couple of nights and then back again. Um, and that was good. Uh, that, that was interesting. Uh, I don't think they're at the world stage level just yet, but it was it was fun. Um, 
and it was good to meet other Australian uh, crypto guys. So yeah, there's a lot of those getting around, and we we got a lot of uh, recognition down there. And a lot of people in Australian crypto don't know Rockpool's an Australian project, at least, and know G one. And so yeah, a lot of people are kind of surprised to find out that. Um, but yeah, uh, as far as this ball went though, um, very successful. I heard there was an amazing boat ride. Uh, which I'm jealous that I missed out on. But uh, we'll all be at uh, East Denver. So, yeah, hopefully we can organise something pretty amazing for that one too. So you just mentioned that Nick was one of the people who stayed back as well because he, of course, was working on the new version of the Rocket Pool website. So um, the who who was involved in making the old website? Was that something you made or was that something you guys outsourced? Yeah, that, that was designed and built all by me originally. <laughs> same with the one before that, same with the one before that. Although Nick did a lot of development for the last one. Um, yeah, he, he touched yeah. up a lot of my stuff, uh, replaced it. Um, probably some of my terrible comments in there too. Uh, yeah, so I did all the, I did all the graphic design, or everything for Rock Pull up to this date. Now we, we get Sleety to help out with a lot of that stuff now. Uh, he's mm-hmm. far better designer than I am, and I don't have as much time anymore. So, um, yeah. and it's not like I need to be a one-man band doing all that stuff. So, um, yeah, we he he Nick did an amazing job on the website. Um, I've known Nick for many years now as well, and he he was one of the, I think he was he was working the same job I was as a senior developer. Um, yeah, when I kind of got into Bitcoin originally back then. So, uh, yeah, and I've I've known. He, to be an amazing developer like the dude he, yeah. you can give him anything and he'll he'll nail it so um yeah he did an awesome job building a new website and he's got a few other things that he's uh kind of tickering on at the moment <laughs> that's so great so what like the orange of course like everyone that's kind of become like literally i've got the orange microphone cover now because of the orange right like the old website was just so orange i think the question everyone wants to know is when do we get orange mode for the new website because i think we kind oh, of missed it's, the it's orange. going it's going okay i'm actually Great. disappointed it didn't make it launch because man i yeah I, you know i made the original orange i'm i'm the biggest fan of it all like come on guys <laughs> let's get this happening so yeah i'm chasing that up tomorrow by the way Oh, good. Okay, because we we need that. We need that orange orange website as soon as I possible. I need that too. <laughs> so you mentioned a couple of times that you know we've got uh, you've got audits going on right now, like in a part of the Houston upgrade, which we're expecting. You know, at some point in the next few months. Can you tell us a little bit about like some of the big things that we're expecting in Houston and why it's going to be so great? Yeah. So originally we launched uh, Rockpool um, with a kind of a major to do, and that was the protocol governance through an on-chain mechanism. Uh, so that's what Houston will be delivering in, in a nutshell: is the ability to govern parameters of the protocol. Um, you know, if, if quite a quite a decent amount of parameters on the protocol uh, going forward, and it can be managed through uh, the protocol DAO, the, the PDO, as we all professionally know it. Uh, that's been a goal since day one. So delivering on that is is a massive win for for us. I think we're doing it in a way um, we're doing DAOs differently. Uh, th- this DAO is a true on-chain DAO. It's not just how many tokens you hold dictates your voting power, voting weight, which is pretty much every, most ninety nine percent of DAOs currently are. If you hold a bunch of tokens, yep. you you can influence the DAO. I mean, it, it's easy, it's easy to do, but it doesn't mean it's it's the best way to do it. So we want to make sure that if you're running a node on Rockpool. Um, well, if you're voting in the protocol and, you know, running, participating in it, and that's been a goal since day one. So um, this will deliver on that. And uh, it's doing it in a way, Kane is an absolute magician. Like, seriously, like, some of the stuff he came up with to do this in smart contracts just blows my mind. Like, 
Um, like I'm at smart contract dev, but I'm not on Kane's level. Like Kane's just leagues above. Like the guy's insane. So he was showing us, you know, the way he was going to do this up with basically four proofs and whatnot early on, and it just it blew my mind. Like the way the kind of elegant solution that came up with this. You know, I, I still have the occasional. Oh, how, how about we do it this way? There will be like two thumbs up from Kane. That of the ninety nine percent other stuff. It's like mm, I don't know, Dave. <laughs> so he does it his way, which is, which is the right way to do it because he's an absolute magician. Um, so yeah, so he's he's come up with on chain way of doing uh, voting um, through this protocol doubt, which is just incredibly good and it's an absolute one of its kind. Like there's no other there's no other DAO that can match how this DAO is structured and how it will work when it's live. Like it's it's I mean, a lot of people are like oh, DAOs, you know, it, you know, doesn't make number go up and all that kind of stuff. But it's absolutely critical to longevity and the kind of health of the protocol as a whole. Having a DAO where you know people that make the decisions are the ones running it, not just the people that hold the token. And then then you open yourself up to things like civil attacks, which where you don't know if one token holder is different from the other and stuff like that. Like you need to have time and money invested. And that kind of prevents these kind of attacks from happening to a certain degree as well. But that's that's a whole other topic. Um, so yeah, I think this. I think that's the main thing which this Houston upgrade will be delivering is this true on-chain DAO um, going forward. Uh, it also brings a couple other really cool. You're staking as a service provider. Uh, you don't want your DevOps guys handling ETH. You don't. You don't want to send them ETH to, to stake on the node. Like that's not what you want. So now you can you basically set a stake ETH on behalf of the node. That way you can have your DevOps running the node and, you know, the, the kind of funds uh, can be separate from that. Uh, if you're a custodian and whatnot, and you don't need to worry about commingling too, that's a big one. Uh, we also have the RPL withdrawal address, which is another uh, big one, which I've pushed for for a while. So the ability to uh, supply RPL to a node in a trustless way, which allows you to, uh, which allows people to lend RPL essentially to node operators as collateral so that node operator doesn't need to bring it themselves and whatnot. There's a few yeah. other facets that go into that, but I think that one's that one opens itself up for a lot of third-party integration opportunities, um, which we've heard a few a few about already. So, um, yeah, I think that one's that one's quite exciting. And um, yeah, and I mean that's that's Houston. Uh, post that is Saturn. Um, I don't know if you already go into that. I can go into that one too. Yeah, if you want. We, we, we'll go there in a minute. But I want to ask you a little bit about. Um, uh, Houston before before we move on to Saturn so one of the things that's happening of course is you know the there's a guardian wallet right now which controls some of the parameters of of rocket pool protocol and that will be moving on to on-chain voting right so this is a huge step towards more decentralization for rocket pool um, which is amazing and you know over the last year as well we've had the powers of the ODAO kind of no the powers of the ODAO have remained I'll be honest but like the influence of the ODAO and like the amount of money they've been getting has has been coming down as well so I guess my question is that you know what's happened is the PDAO has been gaining a lot of power and um that more and more decisions of the protocols like future and development are now going through the PDAO. Um, how does that make you feel as someone who kind of founded Rocket Pool and like that was like your baby? And in a sense, now you're kind of like relinquishing control and just giving it over to the PDAO. Like, have you thought about much about that and like how, how yeah, that makes I mean, you feel? That, it's already kind of happened to a large degree. I mean, over, over the last years, well, I mean, over the last two years since we launched, um, We've, we've involved the community as much as we can in these discussions, you know, like RPIPs and stuff to improve the protocol. 
I mean, the, the things that I would have done certain ways, it didn't turn out that way. And that, that just happens. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's, it's much, much bigger than me, Rockpool now. So the, the protocol DAO, like, I wouldn't have pushed for the protocol DAO to get so involved and to be a true on chain mechanism now if I wasn't comfortable kind of uh, sitting back and, and seeing wh where they take us. I mean, uh, the whole goal from day one was to make sure the protocol was run um, by the node operators. So that's what this delivers on. Uh, for better or for worse, I might not agree with everything, and I, and I don't. I mean, that's just. It's just the way things are, um, but I'm, yeah. I'm okay with it. Um, I'm, I'm actually really curious to see how it goes. Like it is one of those things you can kind of envision, and you really hope it goes well. And I really hope it goes well. But we're we're delivering on uh, the original vision, and I just yeah really hope um, it, it goes as planned. I really do. Yeah, I'm sure that it's. I, if I was in your situation, I'd be like so anxious about it. I have to admit, like I'd be like, "Oh no, this is my baby! Like, what are you guys doing?" Uh, I know, I know. But, but, but yeah, again, but, like it's yeah, yeah, like there is it's it's a, there isn't that duality there. Like you do feel that, like you generally do feel like you're like, "What are you talking about? You want to do what?" But then you sit back, you think about it more, and you're like, "Okay." The first initial reaction is you're changing something I make. And then you're like, yeah. hang on, that's not what Rockfall's about anymore. And then you say, so you kind of draw you back. You're like, you think about it, like, that's actually a good idea. And then you look at it a bit mm -hmm. more and you kind of break it down. Um, so I've definitely kind of worked with myself to make myself uh, a lot more initially accepting of ideas rather than that first yeah. kind of defensive behavior where you're like, you want to do what? <laughs> like, are you crazy? Um, now you actually think about it a bit more. And you know, sometimes ideas are crazy in the end. And you're like, you end up saying no. But a lot of times <laughs> you spend more time to think about it and you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. But that's I think that's gonna be really interesting to see how, you know, Houston will impact those um that going forward. Um I think it's gonna be it's gonna be really, really interesting to see how that works out. Um let's let's move on to my favorite topic that I'm so excited about, which is which is Saturn. So with with Saturn, it looks like there's going to be a major reworking of rocket pool the protocol the way it is now um what what are your thoughts about saturn well, actually let's talk a little bit about what saturn might include um right now so can you can you tell us a little bit about that okay so probably start with um we've actually had a lot of talks on this this week um i think we'll be looking at saturn one and two now so mm -hmm. uh Sat because we we generally um look at uh trying to release not too big uh, when you have a lot of when you have a protocol like Rockpool, which has a lot of complexities involved and you know has a lot of value locked in it, um, smaller releases are better. Uh, even Houston was probably creeping up there in size, and I'm glad we kind of capped it where we did. Um, but Saturn, we're probably looking at breaking up into two releases now. The first one will incorporate the tokenomics changes, which the PDRs voted on. Um, we'll probably be looking at a few other things in that, mainly aimed at scaling, uh, hopefully. Um, and then Saturn 2 will include a few other um, kind of uh, releases as well because we, we already have a lot of stuff planned for this. I mean, we, we even had, um, we were even planning months ago for kind of um, ODAO replacement. They they can kind of get pushed back a little bit, maybe into two now, and we, we focus on scaling with the first one and the new tokenomics changes because I think that's probably the most, uh, you know, like we have Lido with their thing coming up. Um, we, we definitely want to be on the front foot as much as we can in regards to that and that's what we're going to focus on with satin one um satin two again will feature a few of the other things which aren't so scaling uh related or tokenomics related so um 
just to keep the size of the release down again, we don't want to be releasing too much at once. It makes a nightmare for the auditors to audit as well. Uh, I feel sorry for those guys as it is most of the time, but um, yeah, and make it make it a more manageable release. So yeah, I think we'll be looking at Saturn one and Saturn two, um, so yeah, probably in the new. Yeah. Do you do you have any ideas of of the timelines for the different updates that that we're getting? Because in mm. in the post that you wrote recently, that definitely perked some ears and like yeah. got people curious about about how things are going to work in those kind of timelines um have I mean, you guys like talked about it internally since then well we're actually having a, a workshop on it um early next week uh as a team internal workshop we do this from time to time where we want everyone's input and everyone's kind of um ideas on board for you know what should be included in release uh, once we kind of figure out a path of that, we'll then run it obviously past the community and the, the go through the RP process. But the, just early stage talks are just internal with us because we, we kind of triage stuff internally. We're like, is this going to make it into this release or is it going to make it into that release? It makes sense for this one. And then once we've triaged it, then we triage it through the community, then we triage it, uh, it goes through the PDA for voting and so forth. So um, we're going to be um, doing that quite soon. We've just got to work out. Um, next week, I think, through this workshop, uh, what we would like to see uh, exactly in Saturn 1, potentially, and, um, yeah. yeah, kind of figure that out first. So Langers has been taking um, a really active role on some of these discussions already, which is really great to see, like, uh, some of the tokenomics talk that's been happening. And um, how do you guys, do you do you get involved in any of those discussions? Like, how do you fit into that kind of stuff now? Yeah, so I do a lot of the high-level discussions with Langers and the team uh, internally. I don't don't post as much because I mean you don't need me and Langers in there shouting at you. <laughs> like, I mean yeah. he, he can type the same stuff that we're kind of both thinking, and that's generally the way we do it. Uh, we will go from we'll talk to you, the team first, then we'll have chats with each other, and then um, we'll talk to the team again, then we'll talk to the community, then we'll talk to the team, and then we'll just kind of just post that way. But he handles a lot of that more day-to-day stuff now because I, I'm 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 usually chock full of doing um, basically talking to partners, stakeholders, and a ho- whole bunch of other stuff, which isn't, you know, like forum related. It's, it's a lot more high level than that now. So he tends to jump in and out of that stuff as well. But I mean, it would be good getting, you know, a few more of the guys involved in, in the forum stuff. I think that would be a, a good idea um, to do going forward. But again, I don't want to take them away from their kind of daily duties as well because they're pretty busy coding, <laughs> like to actually making of course. Them possible, So yeah. So you you you've led. We've got this great protocol now, like that's uh, captured like the imagination of so many Ethereans, and like um, you know people think it represents the best values of Ethereum and all of this talk, you know, value alignment, all that kind of stuff. Like that's been kind of flaring up recently, but um, you know it's a huge testament to the work that you and like the team have done in getting us to this point. Um, what are some of the things that you're excited about? Um, going forward, you know, like in the next year or next couple of years, what what kind of things like um, are you really eager to see happening with Rocket Pool and with Ethereum as a whole? Okay, uh, I'll start with Rocket Pool. So I, I think next year is going to be a massive year for Rocket Pool. Like I'm not just trying to um, make number go up or anything like that. I mean, I think what Houston Saturn One and Two will deliver will be absolutely massive for next year, especially from a scaling point of view. It's it's one thing how um, big a decentralized product like even ethereum itself uh, scaling has been an issue from day one um i mean decentralized things are just naturally hard to scale 
I mean, that that's essentially the, the, the main kind of roadblock with that. So same for Rockpool, um, we need to create kind of incentives to manage um, node operators who want to stake ever, which liquid stake is deposit, uh, kind of making sure that that works in a way that you can scale it is hard. And so I think next year with the changes that we have got coming up, um, that's going to alleviate a lot of our scaling issues. Like that's that's going to be a, a big year for Rockpool next year. Um, I mean, we've already done. I think I personally, I'm like extremely proud of the protocol, the way it's it's gone to date. Like it's it's gone absolutely like pretty pretty much number two liquid staking token and, and a small team yeah. um, driven by a passionate community. Like that's that's Ethereum. Like that's mm-hmm. you know a bunch of devs working together, a bunch of community guys. All you know, it's we're not some big like we haven't had. Um, we've turned away like a lot of VCs because we we don't want the influence. We want to keep things, um, you know, between the team and the community, like working together with you guys rather than have external stakeholders have influence on us. Um, we've, we've had absolute minimal, uh, like we've had offers, like, and we've we've chosen to do things, you know, keep keep the status quo because we enjoy the way things are working. So I'm I'm exceptionally proud. And I'm really excited for next year because I. I we're obviously going to continue that to a large degree, but I think scaling next year is going to really take Rockpool um, to the next level. Like it's, it's, yeah. Um, anyway, for Ethereum, uh, looking pretty, pretty excited to see some blob, blob side carts happening next year for uh, scaling and all that kind of stuff. That's going to be well, hopefully, um, yeah, that's going to be pretty amazing. Uh, I am generally excited to see the way L2 is kind of evolved. I've, I've always been a little bit skeptical of L2s, but um, I mean, I think. I think it's natural. Like this upgrade should be pretty pretty important. Um, obviously, Beacon State route um, making it's going to be absolutely phenomenal. Uh, just pretty selfish for, for Rockpool kind of reason for that one. Um, that will potentially allow us to do a whole bunch of bunch of stuff which we've already, we've already half planned for. So um, yeah. those two are my kind of major ones that I'm looking forward to um, with you. Do you think there's any path for you to like um, ride off into the sunset? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I could. I could. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I don't know. Let's see where the next bull market goes. <laughs> Suddenly, <laughs> six months time, Dave retires. Um, yeah. No, I don't know. Let's, let's just see. How, let's see how we go with this bull market. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I need to make sure. Obviously, the protocol DAO is in place and working properly um, first before I even consider stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I honestly, I still enjoy what I do. Um, I'm not as involved on the Discord anymore just because I said like life gets in the way yeah. and a whole bunch of other things. But uh, I'm still very, very much involved. I mean, I may not see, you may not see it in day to day Discord, but I'm extremely involved behind the scenes. Um, yeah. So I'm still pairing a lot of the stuff. So I mean, may, maybe maybe one day, but uh, who, who knows when? Let's see how the bull market goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, in a year, maybe with two years, it might be it might be good times for all of us. Um, that'll be really exciting, and I think yeah. we're just starting to get the beginning ideas of a bull market now, right? So there's there's a long way ahead, and you've been through three of them, so you you know better yeah. than most like what to look out for and and how to kind of experience that. Do you have any bull market advice for people who might be watching? Since you're like oh. a veteran of bull markets now. This is not financial advice. <laughs> I just need to say that to everyone involved because it's crypto. Anything can happen. Um, yeah, I mean, 
don't don't expect it to last forever. I mean, I mean that's just the thing. It, it does number does go up. Just prepare, get prepared for the ride down. If you're in it for long term, um, don't get too emotionally invested in the short term. Um, like you'll see number go up, you'll see number go down. It won't it won't hurt as much if you you if you have a time frame, you know, like six ten years ahead, uh, and you're you're confident in the kind of crypto you're pursuing. Uh, again, uh, for me personally, I don't stray away from maybe a select few tokens and Ethereum. I haven't bit, bought Bitcoin in years, but um, yeah, I'm very much a Ethereum. Uh, I mean, get a mini pool happening, guys, if you can, through a bull market. Oh, watching that number go up every day through the attestations or consensus of worlds, that's satisfying. Um, but well, it depends if you're yeah. in a smoothing pool or not, right? So, <laughs> oh, you should see some conversations I've had Joe in our team chat lately. Oh, this close to getting out the other day. Oh, I had a couple of big ones come in. I'm like, oh, Joe, it's killing me. We saw me. them. Like, we t- saw them in the yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, so yeah, I was inches away from opting out of the smoothing pool the other day. So, yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll see. I, I trust in Joe. Trust in Joe. He, he, re- him- he resold me on it. So it might yeah. it might be a good time to play the lottery just for the thrill of it. I think. Oh, it's tempting. It's really. We've tempting. had some nice blocks <laughs> coming in though. There was a guy who got a hundred ETH block last week, and then the next day he left the smoothing. Pool. <laughs> yeah, but that's what you see that hit the smoothing pool, and you're like, well, okay then, I'm, I'm hanging around. Like, that's that's made everything yep. better, except for that guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but that, I mean, poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> But um, uh, yeah, I, I think the the bull market's a really exciting time. And um, what's what's really exciting as well for Rocket Pool is that you guys are actually doing work that is not like reactionary to the bull market. This is work yeah. that you guys have been planning for a long time. And that's that kind of shows, right? And like, you can see a logical progression. There isn't any like kind of cash grabbiness or any kind of yeah. greed that that's coming through. Um, do you think that kind of speaks to the philosophy of the the team and like the community as a whole? Like, how do you think that all works? Yeah, well, I think so. I mean, like I touched on before, uh, we've had, you know, VCs come in, try out, buy up big positions. Um, yeah. We've never gone for it. I mean, I mean if, if this is our first year and we're just launching um, and you need that kind of capital straight up, it, it, it would be very hard. I can understand how startups get involved with a lot of VCs it's because you need you need that capital to get off the ground to kind of foresee your vision. Um, we were luckily enough um, just managed to get through the 2018 um, bear market after doing a raise. Um, and we had one small uh, investment from Consensus back then, which kind of helped us get through that bear market. But man, like, I think, yeah, so I think that, I think that does say a lot about Rockwell and the community. Like, um, I mean, it's, it's just just the way we are. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I, I don't want to see us get, like, can you imagine the, the team getting bought out by some big VC firm or anything like that? Like, it's just, it's just no way. So, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I just, yeah, it's, it's a hard one to say. I, I just generally hope things, I hope the status quo keeps going um, for, for a long time yet just because it, it really is working. The community has been great. Um, the, the team is very hardworking. Even like you said, even through a bear market, when you know that's you get a lot of stuff done in a bear market, but it's not always easy because you always, you know, you always have that thought back of your head. You know, what are, what if it all crashes down to two digits or something like that? What are we going to do? How are we going to manage tax wages, all that kind of stuff? So it's not as easy when number goes up. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm just yeah. Uh, it's, that's a hard one. That's a, you're probably your hardest question yet, right? 
that's okay um yeah i think you did a great job like kind of um putting like the philosophy your philosophy and like you know the kind of position the team's taken throughout like the whole conversation so you there's you there wasn't necessarily a need for you to like sum it up in in a couple of lines at the end but um i think um i think we covered everything that that you know i i thought we we would talk about is there anything that you want to talk about before like maybe maybe that we didn't like cover already um before we we wrap things up um not sure, mate. Uh, I think I think we've done a pretty pretty comprehensive job, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, nothing really. I mean, I wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year uh, going forward because it is that kind of season. Um, yeah. Yeah. Everyone stay safe during the holidays. Have a good break. Try not to watch the charts too much, although I know that's pretty impossible for pretty much most of us, uh, especially in a bull market. But um, try at least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm keen and good to go for yeah 2024. Let's do it. And we're we're gonna see you in Denver. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm getting yeah, 100 getting um, pretty much everyone there. Uh, I don't think Joe will be there unfortunately because he's uh, he's got family stuff on. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, pretty much all of us will be there, uh, including a new junior, which might be starting hopefully early in the new year as in well. So that, that's January, kind of we heard. keen to see. So I'll have some more info yeah. about that out uh, setting up soon. So, yeah, they'll be uh, doing uh, testing duties, a lot of testing duties. <laughs> so that'll free up uh, a, a bit of us, yeah. That's great. Okay, Dave, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you um, and good luck with the audits. I know that the results came back with some minor issues, which is really exciting. And I hope that it carries on like that with the audits coming up in the new year as well. Um, Thank you so much for uh, your time and your wonderful stories of the early days of Rocket Pool. And uh, we'll see you in Denver. Uh, thank you, Ak. Uh, look forward to catching up with you guys and plenty of the community uh, in East Denver as well. Very much looking forward to it.